So this morning, we're continuing looking at Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And at the end, we're going to be baptizing some people. As you'll see, that is a really, really good follow-on. It's going to be great. I'm, I'm aware there are some people here who might have a Bible with you. Just to say, if you have a phone with you, and you go to Google, and you just put in Psalm 23, and then NIV, stands for New International Version, that's just a, the translation we tend to use, then that will bring up the text we're working from. It's not very long, you might know it anyway, but it just might be helpful as we go along to talk about it. Um, I'm just going to read it to start with, and then we're going to dig into um, some of the specifics of the bit we're looking at today. So it says this, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love this psalm. I absolutely love this psalm. Can you think of another piece of poetry that was written thousands of years ago, translated to a language that is nothing like the source language and still carries the beauty and the resonance with us that this does? I think that's because its beauty is not just in its form. I'm not a biblical Hebrew scholar. I couldn't tell you. I'm sure there is some beauty in how it's written. Um, But it's in the content because this psalm encompasses the nature of God as the good shepherd And it also encompasses the human experience. It's got the green pastures. It's got the darkest valleys. It's got enemies and adversity. It's got future hope. And it brings all of this together in a really short passage, just a really short poem, and yet it resonates with us. It's an incredible psalm, and it shows us something of the nature of God. The Lord is my shepherd. If you didn't hear Steve's talk last week, I do recommend going and picking it up on the website because it was really good at just setting this tone of what does it mean for God to be our shepherd. Well, in the context of what Steve mentioned about exploring connection with Wheatley, I was asked just a couple of weeks ago, what scripture or what principle defines your theology? That's a very good interview question, isn't it? Um, But by theology, what I mean really is just your worldview. Because in my, in my mind, at least, your view of God is your view of the world. He created it all. It's his. It works the way he designed it to. And I was asked that, and I knew what my answer was straight away. And the thing that defines it most for me, and there's others, is this. He leads me in right paths for his name's sake. And I've been struck again and again by the number of people for whom Psalm 23, and in particular some of those verses around that little section there that we're looking at today, Uh, define how they see God. I was uh, with a group of people from the west region of our churches and and what used to be south region, now Open Gate. Um, There were some people there who were gathering to produce pastoral training resources. And I was, you know, struck by one of them saying, oh, we're we're in financial hardship at the moment. Do you know what? When that happens, we just read Psalm 23 and we remind ourselves that God will provide. And then we pray and we do what he says and he provides And it just reminded me again, this is a great lens for life. I want to recommend that you memorize this psalm. It's really not that hard. If you've got kids, teaching it to your kids is a great way to memorize it, or nephews and nieces. But, you know, maybe you have your own methods. Maybe you want to draw it or um, sing it or something like that. But memorize it, because actually, if you use this as a lens for life, it changes how you see the world, and it changes how you see God. On that 
note, by the way, I just want to say, I think it's traditional at this point um, in a political process to sort of say, oh, you know, I hope you all went out and voted. I'm not going to say that because if you didn't, it's a bit late and I don't want to just, you know, um, add condemnation to that. But for those who, who voted, I hope that you engaged with God over how you voted and I hope you voted with hope, but not too much. Because I am reminded that whoever gets into power, our hope is not in politicians who ultimately are in it as a job and come to it with their own agendas and their biases and do not have the concerns of every single person and every single possible world issue in their heart. They just can't. I'm sure that there's some that may not want to, but even for those who really do, even for those who seek to be selfless, they're not God. They can't possibly carry that weight. And to put it on them is unreasonable. Our hope is in the Lord. He is the good shepherd. And if we put our trust in politicians, we will be disappointed. No matter if you get exactly who you wanted, you will still be disappointed. In fact, there's a, I've said this before from, the, from this podium, actually, but there's a theologian called Stanley Howass who says this, that in some senses, to a Christian, the political right and the political left are no different because they both act as if the world has not started and ended in Jesus Christ. And we do need to get that. I don't mean that we shouldn't have a political opinion. I mean that we need to not put our hope in politicians. We put our hope in Jesus Christ. Right, okay. That said, this is where we're going. We're going to talk about green pastures, We're going to talk about still waters, and we're going to talk about restoring the soul, and then what does it mean to be guided in right paths? And as we go along, I'm going to remind us that David was a shepherd before he was a king. This is the guy who wrote this psalm, Um, and I'm not a shepherd. But if you are a shepherd, there's a lot more depth to shepherding language. If you've ever had had a talk with me about IT, I have two ways that I talk about IT. One is with people who know about computers, and one is with people, I'm getting some nods here from other um, IT people in the room. There's, there's a way that you talk about IT with people who don't really understand what you're talking about. And then there's a whole new depth when they understand what language you might be talking about or the particular challenges you might face or new tech or whatever it might be. And, and David's like this. You know, he, his psalm, you can read it at face value and nothing I'm going to say is going to sort of totally subvert this, the plain reading of it. But actually there's a depth to what it means to you know, lie down in green pastures that we're going to dig into. And this book here has been really helpful. Um, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. Um, Thoroughly recommend it if you have a chance. I thought it was out of print. It turns out it's back in print again, which is great. And you can get it very cheaply. It is a really good buy and a really good read. And it digs into some of what I'm going to say today. But I want to start with this, really. What does it mean he makes us lie down in green pastures? Well, there's two ways to get a sheep to lie down. And one of them is that you grab it and you wrestle it down onto its haunches and you make it lie down. If you've got to treat sheep medically, that's what you have to do. There's actually a video I found online, thank the Lord for YouTube, of how you do this. It doesn't look very comfortable for the sheep or the shepherd. And in fact, the sheep spends most of its time kind of bucking against, you know, fighting as hard as it can. And you sort of think, this, this sheep looks like it's going to attack this guy. It does not want to lie down. I don't think that's what this is talking about. Just to say... <laughs> There's another reason that sheep lie down, and that is if the sheep is safe in the presence of the shepherd and it's had enough to eat. And if a sheep has had enough to eat and it feels safe, it's not about to be attacked by someone, then it lies down and it chews the cud and it processes all that it's been eating. And it's a place of rest. So sheep need to be safe. They need to have enough to eat in order to lie down. Now, 
I want to say, you know, th- this picture perhaps translates slightly differently to us in Britain, because we say green pastures and we think, okay, yeah, they're two a penny. It's great, because in Britain we have four seasons. They are heavy rain, cold rain, unpredictable rain, and hosepipe ban. <laughs> Israel has two seasons, which are dry and wet, and uh, most of the time, most of the land is actually pretty dry and pretty brown. So this is Oxfordshire from the air, as you can see, mostly green. Um, I'm aware there are people listening on the tape as well. It's mostly green. And uh, this, on roughly the same scale, um, the area around Bethlehem from the air, which is mostly grey and brown, kind of sandy colour. And the fact is that for most of the year, green pastures are not to a penny around and about the place. So when we say he leads us in green pastures, this is not some unrealistic idea of life. Because If I asked you to wave your hands, if you feel like I'm constantly walking through times of plenty and abundance and everything is always great with me, I'm expecting I might see one or two hands max. Okay, this is not some unrealistic idea of life in which we never have any difficulty. We never struggle to find what we need or we never encounter any adversity. This is one in which we're led to pasture by a good shepherd. What do I mean by this? Well, in Israel, there is actually, even during the dry season, there's a wind that comes off the sea which brings just a little bit of moisture to the western slopes. And as a result, you can find very short green grass if you know where to look for it. And the shepherds, what they'll do is, during the dry seasons, they'll lead their sheep to these slopes where they know there's just a little bit of grass to be found. And they'll make sure they get to eat. And they get to eat enough. And then in the wetter seasons, there's more plenty. And they still make sure they get to eat enough. What we're looking at here, this is a picture of a God who in easy times and in difficult times can still give us what we need. Can still not just give us a scarcity, but give us enough that we can lie down and we can rest. And in order to lie down, we need to be safe. Now again, in Britain, we don't have that many predators for sheep. And lambs are susceptible to foxes, wild dogs, apparently badgers. Didn't know that. There you go. Badgers attack lambs. Who knew? Um, Israel, actually at the time David wrote this, they had wolves and they had lions and bears. So there was quite a lot more that was, you know, that was a problem. David actually says this. When David faces Goliath, which is a story many of you will know, uh, he's having this exchange beforehand where someone says, no, you can't face down Goliath. He's like this much taller than you. And he says, look, your servant's been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. I, this is quite a confident guy. <laughs> But this is, this is what shepherds did for their flocks. They took care of their flocks, and if a predator came, they would drive off the predator, and if the predator managed to get something, they would kill the predator and get the sheep back. And this describes the good shepherd with us as well. We can lie down in safety, not because there's nothing out there to fear, but because in the presence of all of those things, we have God who is with us. And if he's with us, none of the rest is that scary, actually. Now, I, I don't say that with, um, you know, with my fingers in my ears and my eyes shut to what goes on around the place. It can be a really scary place to be in the world at the moment. It's a scary place if you've just gone to universal credit. Uh, it's a scary place if you've just had a diagnosis of something that doctors can't treat. It's a scary place if you've just found that your job isn't secure. It's a scary place if um, one of your relatives is not going to last much longer. There are all kinds of things that we can face in the world 
And it's not that they're not real and it's not that we shouldn't care about them. It's just that God is with us all the time in that. And that is something that cannot be taken away. And that is something that we can put our trust and our hope in. This is where I come back to again. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in any person or any system or any medicine or any philosophy. Our hope is in the person who is with us all the time. God himself. I wonder what your predators are. Is it finance? Is it financial hardship? I know for some people that is a really big deal. Is it chronic poor health? Physical? Mental? Is it people who are actively opposed to you? Actually, some people are are in jobs where other people are trying to make their lives difficult constantly, and that's a major part of your life. Perhaps you're sitting finals at the moment. Or prelims. In the middle of all of that, God gives deep-seated security and peace that allows us to lie down and rest. And actually, that's a rest that we need. You know, sheep... Here we go. This is my GCSE biology here. So sheep have quite a complicated digestive system, and actually they have to lie down in order to process what they've eaten. They they spend their time walking around eating, and once they've got enough in them, then they lie down and it goes this kind of complicated dance around their stomachs before they can actually get the goodness out of it. We were made to rest. We weren't just made to constantly work. I wonder when was the last time you rested and why? As far as I can tell, the most common things that the world tells us is that you rest when you've earned it, or you rest when you're so dog-tired that you can't work or party anymore. And that, that's, that's the two reasons that the world gives us to rest. Or perhaps there's a third one, um, maybe if you're lazy, that we should just rest all the time. And actually, I shouldn't have to work. That's perhaps a minority, but it is there. But that's, that's the world's view of why you rest. You've earned it, or you can't possibly work anymore, and so you've got to rest. But get up as soon as you can and get back on with your work. And actually, God tells us something different. He says, you should rest regularly. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There's always going to be more to do. There's always going to be more that could be done, either to further yourself or to further a cause. There's always more celebrating that could be done. There's always more people you could get to know, but actually God says rest. In fact, when he gave a set of laws to the people of Israel, he made it a law right in those Ten Commandments, along with not stealing and not killing people and not committing adultery. He was like, rest properly rest every Sabbath day. Don't make anyone work. Not you and not anyone who works for you, not even your animals. Just everyone, chill out. Rest properly. Keep it holy. Keep it special. I I was finishing off this sermon on Friday night uh, because the day had kind of slipped away and I planned on doing it earlier in the day and things came up and I didn't quite get around to it. And I, I sat down with my laptop open and God said to me, oh, you're going to talk about resting? <laughs> I had this sort of sinking sensation in my stomach because I knew exactly what was coming. He's like, are you going to rest? Yeah, okay. <laughs> but I'll rest much more if I can just get this done first because then I'll be at peace. It's like, you know, or you could just trust me. I mean, you know, weigh them up. So I rested, had a glass of wine, and sat down and watched a film with Caroline and, uh, and our friend Jeanette. And I woke up the next morning and got on with it for a little bit. But you know what? I rested. It was good. It did me good. God was right. Unsurprisingly, perhaps. He gives us rest. And he gives us rest on his schedule, not on ours. 
Okay, so when we say he makes me lie down in green pastures, this is what we're driving at. He's a God who gives us enough. He's a God who keeps us safe. And then he says, and now rest. I want to say a particular word to students about this because um, whether you're Brooks or uni, there's a culture that says particularly around exams, just cram it all in, work every possible hour because you know when you get your first, it'll be worth it or your two one. I was never a first candidate. Um, there's this, there's a sense, you know, just just cram it all in, and then you can rest afterwards. I want to say I don't think that's a good pattern for life, and I don't think it'll even do you the best job. Take a rest on God's schedule. Take a day out every week. There's actually plenty of time the rest of the time. Get the rest. Live it God's way. See what He does with it. Okay. He leads me beside still waters then. Again, this is something where we need to think a little bit about where David was writing, because as already referenced in the seasons of the year, we have quite a lot of water around here. We've got a river just down the road. Uh, we've got far more reservoir, which has got acres and acres of, you know, of clean water. This is not a problem for us here in the UK most of the time. But actually, in Israel, water is really scarce. They don't just have little bits of good water lying around all over the place. And... In all of this, it's not just he leads me to kind of whatever water we can find. He leads me to still waters. There's that picture, isn't there? It's peaceful. It's not, sort of, it's not a dangerous place to be. You're not about to get swept away in a river current. And it's clean. And it's still. And that's something that is really quite outstanding. Now, maybe we don't relate to that um, meteorologically in, here in England, but actually we can relate to that in life, can't we? Because uh, Lois's word about busyness. That's something I can relate to. We live in busy, busy times. There's always something more you could be doing. There's, you know, even if you think you've finished all your work, then there's social media sort of telling you you should click this petition or you should you know, scroll through and see what everyone else is doing in their lives. And then somebody can get hold of you on the phone at a second's notice. And then I haven't checked my emails. Oh, now that reminds me, I need to just do this thing for work. And we can live in this constant state of being full of everything and busy. And in all of that, where are the still waters? Where's the refreshing? It can be really hard. That's actually quite like the, <laughs> the setting for Israel, which is, you know, it's quite a lot of wilderness. And in all of this, he leads us to still waters. What does that mean? Well, I think there's, there's two pictures in Scripture of water, really, relating to two very related things. So one of them comes out of the, in the first psalm. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. One place in which God leads us beside quiet waters is because he's written for us the scriptures. He's written for us the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, a collection of stories of what God's done and teaching about it, and letters to individuals or to churches explaining how it works, and poetry and wisdom and songs of praise. It's a wonderful, wonderful collection. And in it, there is rest and restoration for our thirst. The second one is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Holy Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. God has given us ways to be refreshed regularly by reading his scriptures and allowing them to do us good, 
by spending time in his presence and allowing the Holy Spirit to restore us. This speaks of God bringing us back time and time again to the refreshing truths of the scriptures and to prayer, which is a two-way conversation. Um, I was thinking about this and thinking of situations in which this has been the case for me. And I just remember arriving at our student night um, a couple of weeks back now. And I hadn't slept well the night before. And a few things had come up during the day, which meant the time I'd set aside to prepare for it had evaporated. And I was supposed to be leading the worship. And I was all over the place, frankly. And I'm not the best keyboard player, so I need time to practice. And I hadn't had any time to practice. And I was just feeling rushed and, and frazzled, frankly, not in a great place to be leading. As we worshipped, God met with us. And at the end of that time of worship, I was full of energy and excitement. My soul was restored and I felt alive. I don't know what your experience has been of turning to scriptures in times of distress, but you'll know that as you think over and turn over those words, the, the scriptures talk about meditating. By that, we just mean worrying over those words, bringing them back to mind, applying them and applying them and applying them again. As that happens, he brings peace. He brings assuredness. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. But not always, right? And even in the psalm, just the very next thing we say, you know, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or in the modern translations, the valley, darkest valley, you know, it's obviously picturesque language, it's, uh, metaphorical language, but it isn't always like that. So, you know, we can sometimes end up in these slightly convoluted things where we say, oh, you know, God, I, I want to pray for the faith of this because I know you're a good God, but at, oh, sometimes, you know, you do lead us through difficult times and, and we can end up double-minded and we can end up without any sense of conviction about God's character because we think, well, yes, sometimes he seems to be good, but other times maybe not. And, and we can end up torn. I want to say, no, this scripture really clearly points to he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, even if, even then he's with me. There's a tone there, isn't there? There's, a, there's an emphasis which comes out, which is the default expectation is that God's goodness will look good to us. Most of the time, that's what it's like. Most of the time, God's goodness looks good to us. Just occasionally, we don't quite get what's going on. Just occasionally we don't understand what his goodness looks like. And, and then that might surprise us. But actually the default expectation we can have is that when we say, God, you're good, it will look good to us. Actually, this is the same with parenting, isn't it? You know, our, our kids are not constantly in fear that we're going to you know, suddenly decide they should do something crazy that's going to really upset them or, or throw them. But it doesn't mean there won't occasionally be challenges or difficult times. Just we'll be with them through that. But we don't want our kids to be constantly kind of unsure about whether we really love them or whether, we're, whether we're, our heart towards them is good. This is really well summed up by the story of three men called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who many of you will know of. These are guys, they were, ex they were exiles from Israel living in a place called Babylon. And while they're living there and, and peaceably living their lives as Jews in this uh, place, Babylon... Uh, they, they, there's a law passed which says, actually, no, you can't worship any other gods. You just have to worship the king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And they won't go along with that. They're like, no, we don't, we're, we're Jews. We worship Yahweh. We don't worship any other gods. And so they just quietly get on with their worshiping, and then they're hauled up in front of the king, and, and they're told that basically they will be burned alive unless they decide, no, they'll, they'll worship the king. And they say this really interesting thing. They say, King Nebuchadnezzar, you need to know this. Our God is able to save us, and he will. 
But even if he doesn't, we still won't, we still won't bow down and worship you. And this is where it comes to the crunch. They, they say, our God is able to. He can rescue us. And in fact, in the story, he does. And they say, even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down. But in the middle, there's this place of assurance. But our God is able to, and he will. That's their default expectation. Their default expectation is that the goodness of God will rescue them in all situations. We need to have that same heart attitude. We can't be going around double-minded, going, oh, maybe God will, maybe he won't. Our default expectation when we pray for people, when we pray for ourselves, when we look for provision, when we look for rescuing or deliverance from situations needs to be that God's goodness will look good to us and that he will come through when we pray. Okay. Green pastures, still waters, restoration of the soul. And then he says this, he guides me in right paths for his name's sake. Now, the thing is, sheep don't know where to go. Not really. They're pretty aimless beings. Perhaps if they're particularly well-trained, they might have a, you know, a set path to a set watering hole or something, but they don't. And this is why it's so reassuring that there is a shepherd to lead them, because he does know where they need to go, not just now for what's good for them now, but he also knows where they need to be in a week's time when the pasture's gone over here and he knows where they need to be in six months' time and they might need to gradually make their way in that direction. He has that bigger vision and he's able to lead them. He also knows what's going on with the other sheep in the flock in a way that one individual sheep doesn't and what this one might need and that these ones are going to be lambing next month or whatever it might be. He holds it all together. And God is like that with us. He leads us in right paths that are not just right in our little narrow understanding of what's good for me right now, but he leads us in right paths for everyone. He holds it together for the whole world. That's incredible. And he says he'll do it for his name's sake. Just a slightly odd turn of phrase, isn't it? Have you stopped and thought about that? The thing is, God's name is like his glory. Names are really significant, um, particularly in that culture. And in fact, when Moses says, look, I want to see your glory. It says that God passes in front of him, proclaiming his name, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, and not leaving the guilty unpunished. That's all tied up in who God is, in his name. God's name is really important. And so, when he says that he will guide us in right paths for his name's sake, he's saying, look, because of who I am, it, it's, it's contingent on my very nature that I will guide people in right paths. You don't have to worry that if you wake up and have a bad day, I won't lead you in good paths today. You know, if you wake up feeling grumpy today and you're not really, you know, not up for listening to God so much, that blip is not going to throw his good desire to lead you in right paths. Do you know, my experience is that God led me in right paths even before I knew that he was there. I wasn't raised as a Christian at the age of 12, I still knew almost nothing about Jesus Christ. And yet I can look back now and go, oh yeah, that friend at primary school who started talking to me about his church and the change that went on in his life when God restored his family, that, that had an effect on me. And then he introduced me to another friend at my secondary school who started inviting me along to a youth group. And in all that, I see God was guiding me in right paths even before I had any idea that he was doing it. And he wants to do that for people who don't yet know him as well as people who do. Because his nature is such that he wants to guide people in right paths, if only they'll listen. 
and it rests on him and his name and his sovereignty and his glory, not on ours, which is great because I don't have much sovereignty or glory. It does mean it won't always make us happy. It's part of the course, right? And if, if, it's, if it's for his name's sake, sometimes right paths will not always be things that make us happy. I'm okay with that. My kids are learning to be okay with that. But it also has a real hope in it. You know, our obedience to that leading can have a genuine impact on God's glory in the earth. So the question then really is, do we want it? Will we receive God's leading? I have a friend called Andy Frost, and uh, God called him to go and do a discipleship training course in Hawaii. He's a surfer. He chose his university based on how close it was to the nearest surf beach. And you can imagine that was a really hard calling for him. Really tough. Um, What a shame. Uh, He loved it. It did him a lot of good. Um, But nevertheless, there are are some times when God calls us and we we just go, yes, of course, absolutely, that's wonderful. That's not the difficult ones to follow, is it? The times when it's difficult to follow is more like this. Here we go. Has anyone ever tried to give a worming pill to a cat? Um, I still have some scars from that. Apparently, you're supposed to wrap them in a towel. I think that sounds just as dangerous as giving the worming pill to the cat, personally. But the thing is, the cat doesn't understand that it needs the treatment, so it fights you tooth and claw, and then as soon as you get the pill and you're like, yes, come on, you go, and out it comes again. And you're like, oh, now I've got to get a slimy pill back into you. It's, it's never been a happy thing in our house, honestly. Um, so... That's one way that sometimes God's leading can be like. Because we, we don't get what he's on about and we fight him for it. We're like, no, God, I'm not going to do that. No, no way. I'd... It happens, doesn't it? Then, true story, this is my daughter Poppy. Sometimes we do understand and we still fight. Now, Poppy knows that if she does not brush her hair, it becomes knotty and unmanageable and really painful and she can't have it in pretty plaits, which she really likes. But she still fights whenever we say we need to brush it. Oh, I've done it already. Yeah, but not properly. Look, look, it it wouldn't hurt if you'd done it already, would it? And so it goes on. She still fights it. She did give permission for me to take this photo. It's actually not genuine pain. That's her trying to look in pain. (laughs) But this is the thing. Sometimes we fight him because we don't understand. Sometimes we fight him because we do understand. I want to say there's a better way. And I want to call it four steps to maturity. Um, I'm just aware, if the message hasn't gone to kids' groups yet, now would be a great time for them to start thinking about coming back so they can be here for the baptisms. And the first one is this, learning to submit to the shepherd. This is the, you know, the cat saying, all right, I will swallow the pill. <laughs> or Poppy saying, yeah, all right, do brush my hair. This is the first step. And so what I want to do as I talk through these steps is you might recognize in this a heart attitude that you have. You might say, yeah, okay, I, I've got to that step, but maybe not this one. And I want to suggest that would be a good time to think about how could I move on to another step of maturity. And you'll probably find it's different things in different areas. So you might find it really, really, really easy for, you know, to trust God in interpersonal stuff. But when it comes to your career, which you know, is so contingent on other people who you know, have different agendas, you know, let me sort that one out myself, God. Or it could be any, anyone. But you know, So as you go through this, It may be different stages for different parts of your life. But the first one is this. Will we submit to the shepherd? Will we say, yes, God, I may not even want to. I may not understand why, but I trust you enough to do it when you speak. It's a good start. 
you know, submission, ideally submission shouldn't be sort of grudging. But you know what, even if at first it is grudging, it's still a good start. A couple of years ago, as a church, many of you remember we did some street outreach. It's really not my thing. And when it was announced, and when I knew it was coming, I was like, God, I don't want to do this. And it was really just going up to people and saying, Jesus loves you and has a great plan for your life. And if they were interested, offering to pray with them and explaining a bit about the gospel. And if they weren't, saying, bless you and off you go. And it wasn't actually that hard, but really not my thing. And, and for me, this was grudging submission. I was like, God, I'm doing this because you've told me to and for no other reason. I have no desire to be here. And that did start to change over the week, it's true. But that is at least a first step. And it's one where we might all find ourselves. But there's somewhere we can move on from that, which is that cooperation. Now, cooperation says that I, I might not get it, but yeah, sure, wholeheartedly, I trust you. And the difference here for me would come down to, so our, our eldest, Elise, he doesn't like doing the dishwasher. That's his job. And we've been trying to work on his attitude to get from the stage where we say, Lise, could you do the dishwasher? And he goes, why? Why do I have to do it now? Can't I just do this first? That, that was how we were. And where we've got to now is, Elise, would you do the dishwasher? And he starts going. He's like, while he's doing it, he says, is there a reason to be doing it now? Now, you see, there's a difference there, isn't there, in heart, between you're going to have to convince me before I do anything through to, okay, look, I'm, I'm going to be obedient wholeheartedly. Can you explain to me? And that difference is a really good one, and it's one where you can start to cooperate with God's leading, and it does us good when we cooperate with God's leading. Okay, that's the second stage. The third one, then, is understanding, because as we go along, God wants us to understand what he's doing. He says to his disciples at one point, he says, I'm, I'm calling you friends now, not servants, because a servant doesn't know what his master's up to. He doesn't know his master's business. God wants us to bring, to a place, bring us to a place where we understand what he's doing. Not all the time, probably, because we can't fathom all of his you know, great wisdom and his mind. But he wants to bring us to a place where we can understand him. And then from that, he wants to bring us to a place where we can ourselves also be looking to learn and change. Because the fact is that if we see a situation enough times and we start to respond to God's leading, eventually our heart response changes so that even without God's direct prompting, we're starting to learn to do the right things. That's a really good place to get to. We get what God's about and we go, okay, God, I know that you're after this. So I'm assuming we probably want to go this way. And he goes, yeah, that's right. Well done. You learned it. Brilliant. This is the kind of maturity God wants to bring us to. He doesn't just want us to always be kind of pulled about like, there's a psalm which says, don't be like the horse or the donkey, which has to be controlled with the bit and bridle. He'd much rather that we were seeking to understand him and that our default response was to go down the paths that he wants to lead us down. So, green pastures, still waters, ripe paths. What now? Well, look, some people here already know God as your good shepherd, and maybe this is just a refresher for you. Maybe it's a provocation to step up in maturity as you respond to the shepherd's leading. I'm aware for some people here, you've put your trust in Christ, but you don't really know what, what do you mean by God like, trying to lead me? What, is, what does it mean for God to speak to me? And I'd like to suggest that's a much bigger conversation and one that would be really good to work out in a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a mentor. Um, probably many of you know that we do something here at OCC called personal pastoring, which is like a mentoring, coaching relationship, uh, a more mature Christian to get alongside you and help you work through this kind of stuff. I want to say, if this has thrown up questions where you go, I could do with talking that out with a more mature Christian, come and have a chat with me or one of the other leaders afterwards. and We'd love to get you connected up with a personal pastor. That would be a great way to explore it.
I know as well there'll be some people here today who didn't ever know that God was a shepherd or that he wanted to lead you in right paths. And I know that because that's how I was the first few times I stepped in a church. In fact, for quite a while after I stepped in a church. And so I want to continue Steve's offer earlier that said that if from this you think, you know, I want to be led down right paths. I want to know the good shepherd who is looking out for me, who makes me safe, who gives me enough, who refreshes my soul then there is a chance to do that today. Probably the easiest way is if you came along with someone you know, is to start by chatting with them. And I'm sure they'll happily answer questions that you might have and explain a little bit and, and offer to pray with you. But if, you know, if that doesn't work or if you came here on your own, come find me, one of the other people who you've seen up front leading this morning. We'd love to just talk you through that because actually God wants to draw more and more lost sheep into his flock and to lead them well and to do them good and to see them well pastured and refreshed and led down right paths. He wants that today.